by building that connection with your clothes. You're going to love your clothes more. You're going to get to know the people behind your clothes and how they're made. And I always say, just like when you grow your own vegetables, you think they taste that bit better. If you know the stories behind your clothes, you're going to love them that bit more. Um, And love makes you happy, doesn't it? Hi, I'm Sebastian Volney, and this is, as you may know by now, the Sustainable Fashion Wingman, the podcast exploring the brands, innovations and careers contributing to the future of responsible fashion, proving that fashion can be both profitable and sustainable. Thank you, as always, for listening. I hope you've checked out the previous episodes and have subscribed, as you wouldn't want to miss out on more exciting episodes coming your way. And don't forget, the James Byron Instagram page is where you can learn more about working in sustainable fashion. If you are a startup brand, I hope hearing from other new and established brands has provided insightful information and advice to help in your own journey. But as we saw in episode four, it's not just brands who are contributing to sustainable fashion movement, as we'll see from today's guest also. Joe Salter is a rare mix of brand founder, but also consultant and educator, launching her own label in 2013, where does it come from? To tell stories and promote transparency in the supply chain only later to expand on the useful lessons learned to support other businesses. Joe is now keeping busy, extra busy in fact, running the brand, her sustainable consultancy, and now the Where Does It Come From podcast. How did a consultancy spring from a brand? How is the ethical business buddy helping brands become more sustainable? Well, let's find out. Hi Joe, how are you? Hi, Sev. Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Not too bad, thank you. It's nice to see you again. I've been um, looking forward to catching up and uh, hearing more about the exciting things that you've been getting up to lately. I have, of course, been listening to your podcast show, which we shall hear more about lately. First of all, we want to learn a little bit about the uniqueness of your brand. Where does it come from? Because as it's described, it came about more as a social enterprise rather than a, you know, just another brand. Can you tell us a bit more about the initial concept and and what that's all about, please? Yes, for sure. Um, yes, you're right. It did sort of come out of a social enterprise driver, really. Um, as its name suggests, um, where does it come from? What I was trying to do was answer the question, really tell people a lot more about um, their clothing and all of the stories behind that. And the reason for that is because I think that we have a bit of a disconnect with our clothes and other products too, but clothes are obviously such a day-to-day item. So we have this disconnect. We just buy things in shops and we don't necessarily have any idea really what they're made of, or more importantly, their impacts on both the environment and the people who are making up our clothing and other products. So for me, if you look at a supply chain, as I'm sure you know all about supply chains as much as I do, it's the people at the very far end of it who seem to get the rawest end of the deal. So if you're looking in terms of financial, but also in how they're treated, their working conditions and all sorts of things. I mean, you have to look at things like the Rana Plaza factory disaster of a few years ago. And it's the people who are really struggling. They're kind of anonymous. And what I wanted to do was tell their stories. And then alongside of that, the um, looking at the environmental impacts, they go hand in hand, really. If you're if you're pushing back on price in terms of the quality of the way you treat your people, then you're going to be pushing back with also the materials and the quality of workmanship and the impacts on the planet of waste and all sorts of different things. So that's really where it came from. 
it is a knock-on effect, like you say. And and sustainability is I often say this and my guests often say it as well and acknowledge the fact that it is an umbrella term. And if a brand is looking to be sustainable, we like to think that also means they're looking to be ethical as well. And that does involve the whole story because the whole story, like you say, is the people who make the product, not just the product itself, not just where the product is, you know, uh, manufactured or the materials come from, but also who's making it, how they're living, how their lifestyles are affected by by what we're doing, by what the industry is doing with manufacturing and consumerism um so that's really interesting that you're looking at that and wanting to tell those stories it kind of runs in line with i guess fashion revolutions idea of where you know who made my clothes because that is really important if a brand wants to be truly ethical and responsible um and of course you know because so it is very much about respecting and having a positive impact on people and the environment and i know that your brand is built like we're starting to hear already on those values and I know before you've mentioned you have three specific values that your brand is built on can you tell us a little bit about those and what they mean to you yeah sure that the values are um, very much around fairness to the workers and dignity and good livelihoods to the workers and that can be all the way back the farmers um, all the way through to the garment workers dyers printers weavers spinners absolutely everybody involved in the production we want them to be paid fairly we want them to have dignified livelihoods um, and good quality of life and all of that in in line very much with the sustainable development goals um, in terms of no poverty and equality and good cities, good places to live, all of those kind of things. So that's one pillar is the people side of things. Second one is the environment, very much around um, looking at more and more innovative materials and um, processes all the time. So we started off very much looking at traditional materials um, such as 100% organic cotton, that kind of thing. And now we're, um, we've looked at rain-fed cotton we've been working with. We've, we're now doing something with tensile. So there's materials there, but there's also how do you power your workshops? Do you use hand power? Do you use solar power? Um, you know, being as low carbon as possible, using as few pesticides as possible, wasting as little as possible. So there's a huge thing there. So again, that's the environment, fair trade sort of side of things. But the third pillar is the customer. And I think we always say the customer comes first. That's very much a, a business term. The customer must come first. I see them as being equal with the other two, really, which might seem a, a bit strange. But just because the customer has the money to buy the things doesn't mean that they get to have the choice about how well things uh, are made. And I think it's got to be other things that come into that. However, I believe that customers get a huge benefit from understanding the stories behind their clothes. And if you're scanning, we have a QR code on every item or some of our older items of an alphanumeric code. And they can find out that whole story, which I really believe improve, improves people's mental health. So I think by building that connection with your clothes, you're going to love your clothes more. You're going to get to know the people behind your clothes and how they're made. And I always say, just like when you grow your own vegetables, you think they taste that bit better. If you know the stories behind your clothes, you're going to love them that bit more. Um, and love makes you happy, doesn't it? That's the idea. And you mentioned about um, rain fed cotton. Can you tell that's that's an interesting phrase. Um, I'm sure a lot of our listeners might not necessarily have heard of it. You just tell us a little bit about what that means exactly. I'll try not to be too long and boring because it's one of my passion subjects. There is an article about this on um, the blog that I wrote about a year or so ago. Basically, 
the short version is that um, cotton is just like any other crop and cotton gets a bad press uh, when people are talking about sustainability. But actually, it's not cotton that's the problem. It's us that's the problem. So you've got a crop that grows naturally, indigenously in certain locations in the world. And that then is um, in harmony with nature there. So it sort of automatically um rejects pests that are from that area it copes with just the rain it doesn't need all these additives and this water and of course you're not looking at mass production then you're looking at a much more natural way of growing the crop and that's what we've been working with since about 2018 so you've got crops like that in India there's Kala cotton um, and other indigenous forms of cotton and we've also worked with um, a rain-fed cotton crop in Uganda that comes from Uganda as well so that they're they're becoming more well known and I think it's just a, a bit of a I, I like to push back on people who say cotton that's the dirty um, the dirty thirsty crop only if you don't grow it the way that it's meant to be grown you know and with all of our demand for um, products all the time of course the reaction has been over the last 50 60 or more years to try and grow cotton for hundreds of years actually to grow cotton all over the world let's just throw water at it pesticides and and, and all of that to, to get the cotton but if you look at the damage that's done the drying up of the aral sea and so many more things if we can just grow a lot less grow it where it's meant to grow treat it as it's meant to be treated we'll have beautiful cotton without ruining the planet yeah, that's great. And there is a lot of kind of confusion I hear from people about what fabrics are, you know, what materials are sustainable. Um, and from what you're saying, it's not necessarily about just what fabrics are sustainable or more sustainable, but it's also about how those fabrics or those fibers are produced in the first place, how they're produced, how they're grown and how they're used, which adds another element of insight into you know using sustainable materials um, and I, I think it's very true as well what you say and, and I like what you said about people planet and consumer being on the same level and you're right we have come from a very I guess it's a, a capitalist mentality or a sale a salesman mentality that the consumer is always right but I think today's consumer is now becoming a consumer that that wants to be very conscious about what they are doing and buying and I think a lot of them would be very happy to say yes we want to be able to be a consumer, we want to be able to shop and buy the products we want, but we also want it to be people and planet positive as well. And I think a lot of the newer generations also do not want to be seen as consumers that don't think about those things because they realize how important they actually are for their, their own environment as well. And I think brands are beginning to realise that. What you say is absolutely true. And brands are beginning to realise that, which is why we have this growth in greenwashing, because they know that consumers want the messages. They want to feel good about the environment and about the people making their clothes. And so they're giving them those messages, so those messages which sometimes are a little bit misleading, but it's a good sign because they know that that's what customers are looking for. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's a good sign. Um, unfortunately, a lot of companies are doing it, but it is a good sign because it, it shows that they know that that's the direction the industry is going in and they have to keep up somehow. And I think with platforms like obviously my podcast, um, your podcast and lots of other platforms and lots of other voices out there are now raising the awareness and also you know, the whole point of this podcast as well and other platforms is to actually cut through the noise of, of what actually is truly sustainable so that the consumer can even get a better grip on, 
you know, what is the truth behind businesses? What What is just greenwashing and what is actually the reality? Um, and the more that happens, the less impact or the less utility businesses are going to be able to get out of greenwashing and it's just going to have to stop <laughs> otherwise yeah. it's not going to help them in, in the long run um let's just come on to your brand a little bit again uh it's it's obviously been around for a few years now and i feel like it's got a very bright future ahead and i know there's a lot of things in the works what's uh, what is the future of your brand how do you see it developing um, well, it's evolved. I mean, I think all brands probably do this, but you kind of evolve with the times, don't you? So, um, and as the more you learn. So when we first started off, we were very much a retail brand, um, started off as a children's clothes brand, working with um, organic denims and things like that. And then we moved, we have moved much more into um, business to business. And that's for several reasons. One is that I feel that there's been a growth of um, fashion brands, ethical fashion brands. And I don't come from a fashion background so I'm not for one moment thinking that I could do as well as these people who've studied fashion and understand about fashion so I'm very happy to sort of stand back and let those people do things really well and really ethically um, we'll carry on doing what we do which is basics and staples um, I don't want to create thing, extra things for the planet that we don't need to have and then the other reason for moving much more business to business is that I think businesses automatically or generally spend a lot on their marketing merchandise on their staff uniforms they've got budgets for that kind of thing and I'd be much happier if they spent them ethically and sustainably that's a good idea and I, I wish they would too um so you've not so you so you've got a brand but also you have other hats when it comes to sustainability and I know that one of your names is the ethical business buddy how did you become how did you become that well, it kind of, that started a long time ago, actually, before Where Does It Come From, when I um, I first started getting into ethical business, really, I suppose, which is, I don't know, when, a long time ago, when my children were babies and I was doing things in and around that. But I worked with a few businesses at that time, and it wasn't fashion-related at that time at all. It was much more... Um, trying to help people with the business side because I came from a business background and technology background so it was so many entrepreneurs have fantastic ideas and I wanted to work with people who had brilliant ideas around um, ethics and sustainability and then work with them on the business side to turn that into something viable so I worked with a, a tea company I worked with um, somebody who was looking into um, ethical and sustainable soft drinks manufacturer um, a fashion company actually so just doing little bits of consultancy here and there to help them before I set up where does it come from and then it largely went away because I was busy setting up the brand and then all the lessons that I learned building where does it come from I kept thinking gosh I've just learned so much I'm learning every day I'd really like to help other people not make some of the mistakes that I made and believe me there were plenty of them um, and so I'm, I'm now working with businesses to share um, some of that knowledge so some of it's writing some of it's speaking and some of it's working with businesses uh, very much around the ethical and transparent supply chains or running ethical businesses um, and that kind of crosses over with where does it come from quite a lot because what I tend to do quite often is if somebody is looking at setting up some kind of a brand then I'll work with them a little bit and then maybe I'll say to them well actually why don't we help you source some of your um, your things you need for your brand you know and we'll help you do that ethically and sustainable through our supply base. So it's all areas of um, sustainability really not just in fashion. Yeah but I would say that my most of my most of my knowledge now is around the textiles industry. 
Uh-huh. So why do fashion businesses, what do they generally come to you first of all with? What do you find that when people are starting up? Because we've seen in the, you know, since the pandemic, there's been a rise in startups and especially in sustainable fashion and brands. So w- what are these people coming to you and asking you for exactly? Yeah, it's a variety of things, really. I mean, it's normally just questions um, around around fabrics quite often or how they can turn their idea into something that they, you know, some kind of specification, look at all the different areas um, within that um, product idea that, and, and how to turn that into a reality. I mean, it sounds vague, but it's because there's just so many different things that it could be. And what I normally do with customers is I start off by trying to get them to identify what the values are that they're trying to put across in their brand. So uh, we all think we have values. I mean, there's some people that we don't particularly like their values. I won't name any names on your podcast, but one used to be the president of the United States. And we wouldn't necessarily think, you know, that they've still got values. We just don't always chime to them. Um, but some of the values around sustainability and ethics can be conflicting, for example. So you might be very strongly wanting to have a vegan brand, um, but then you you might be less worried about using artificial fabrics, you know, man-made fabrics. Um, some people are very much around natural fabrics. Some people are very much around plastic-free. Some people are very much around fair trade. And sometimes they can be, I wouldn't say, probably conflict is too strong a word, but priorities so that you tend to choose between those. So it's helping people identify what those are. And then you can start looking at materials and fabrics and different ways of making that happen. I mean, at the moment, there's a very strong drive to make, make in the UK um, or or make close to home to reduce um, carbon footprint. So different things like that. Do you find there's quite a large um, rise in manufacturing in the UK then? There's certainly a rise in people asking about it. And I think some of that is a backlash of Brexit because of costs and things. And some of it's to do with the pandemic as well. And just having things closer to home because you can't really visit, you know, China or India or um, anywhere else at the moment so maybe it's maybe we've all got a bit more um, just feel more comfortable having things closer to home where we can keep an eye on them uh, as well so yeah there's 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 a variety of reasons yeah you're right I think it's also quite useful to be able to monitor your supply chains which obviously the pandemic has made a lot trickier and having things made in the UK like you say cuts down on on your carbon footprint also, um, which is a, a huge talking point within the industry. Um, coming on to those kind of aspects, a lot of these kind of goals and values have come from the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, um, or as they're known, SDGs. Can you, you know, I understand you use these as a guide in your work as well. Can you tell us a little bit about what the SG? SDGs are and how you utilize them in your training. Yes, of course. I mean, basically, uh, the UN, I can't remember the year now, there's, it evolved over several years from the Millennium Goals and then it turned into the 17 UN Sustainable Development Goals, um, which are easily found. All you need to do is Google UN Sustainable Development Goals and the website is excellent. And what you can see within beneath each of those goals, um, a set of targets and criteria and it's fascinating reading I can get lost in it very easily but basically they're very 
usable, I suppose, um, understandable chunks, 17 chunks. So one of them is no poverty. Uh, one of them is life below the sea. You know, so, so it's not convoluted, um, high academic stuff. It's all it's all very easy to understand. My absolute favourite is number 12, which is responsible production and consumption or consumption and production. And I think that that for any product based business, that's going to be the top one. But the beauty of the S or one of the many beauties of the SDGs is they all fit behind each other quite nicely. So when you're working with a customer and you say, identify your top three um, SDGs, you'll then find that maybe four or five other ones will sit behind them. So but behind no poverty would also maybe have, um, I don't know, uh, equality would sit behind that. Um, and and there's just there's just different ones. So there's, there's one around climate and then, of course, life beneath the seas, life on land. They all fit behind that as well. So it's really very it's a very nice, easy chunks of ways to break up what you're doing and, and map yourself against them as well. You can say well, we're, we're helping um, we're working towards SDG 12 in this way because this is how we uh, create our products responsibly this is how we ensure that our consumers consume them responsibly so yeah i'd recommend anybody listening just google un sustainability goals and you'll find them and there's um i'm just going to chuck this in here there's also a blog on the james byron website about the sdgs as well that we did last year so someone can have a, a read of that if they're interested also um and you're right as well what you say about the way that they are connected and they sit together. And I think that's kind of an over overarching essence of what we're looking at in terms of sustainability and ethical fashion is because it all fits together, the environment, the people within the supply chains and how we work together and business on a whole, because it is, as our previous guest had said, it's an ecosystem, you know, and we live in this ecosystem and business is part of that ecosystem because without the environment, business doesn't work anyway. So. Yeah, it all makes sense that they all fit together. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We've spoken in the past as well, Joe, about some of the shocking effects of the pandemic had on the supply chains, which obviously led you to start what was called the Ethical Brands for Fashion Revolution campaign. What was that all about? Well, that actually started, uh, it's one of those things, um, it started a few years before the pandemic, actually, because uh, we kind of, it, I had an idea based on Fashion Revolution. I'm such a firm supporter of Fashion Revolution, have been since the beginning, have been involved in various events and all of that kind of thing. And then I sort of thought there's a, there's a hole in it because at that time they were very much asking consumers to ask their brands who made my clothes. And I knew that at that time there was a lot of fledgling businesses. This was about 2015, 2016, a lot of fledgling fashion businesses who already were telling people who made their clothes so we got together I set up a Facebook group and I said anyone want to join it we've got about one and a half thousand people in the group now but it's it's basically saying to people we know who made your clothes we can tell you those stories so the first thing we did was make a video which got a bunch of brands together and they um basically said here's the stories behind our clothes come to our clothes so it was, it was very much in support of fashion revolution but saying there's already people doing this so um, and they were fashion revolution have been right behind it and involved the whole way through so that was the first year and then for the following two years after that we did live events in London we took over the brands museum in London and um, 30 ethical brands contributed together we had a trade trade show sort of thing really uh, people could come in and talk to those brands find out from them 
panel sessions. We did a fashion show, um, and they were they were great days. Um, and then we we had one planned, obviously for 2020, and then the pandemic hit. So that was when I had a stupid, crazy idea that yay, we'll do a global online conference, and um, that's what we did. So that then I had help from uh, three wonderful partners: uh, Roberta Lee, Claire Couchman, and Chasing Young. And the four of us together, we planned this um, week-long set of um, global events, basically. So we, I mean, the real advantage of having it online was we had contributors from all over the world, including in the supply chain. So we had um, an organic farming uh, organization in India taking part. We had two um, garment making worker organizations in India taking part. It was really great. And the real advantage was as well that we were one of the earliest Zoom conferences because it was April 2020. So people hadn't got Zoom tired then. So we got some great names involved. We had Lucy Siegel speaking. We had um, Natalie Bennett from the Green Party. We had um, Labour Behind the Label, Extinction Rebellion, you know. So we, we did really well with who we got, which I think if we did it a month later, they'd have gone, no way, not doing that. So that was great. And it also kept us out of trouble for the first month of um, lockdown when a lot of other people were getting a bit, you know, not sure what to do with themselves. We knew exactly what to do with ourselves. So that was that was good. So that's where it came from. And then this year, um, 2021, what we did was we reshared some of the content from last year and did some catch up sessions with some of the key speakers. So it's, it's a movement that's grown, really. Yes, I, I did start it, but it's got a lot of people involved and it's been fantastic. And is it something that you're going to continue to do every year? Um, we'll see what the need is, but yes, I think so. I mean, uh, there's been talk already about we'll have to do another live a live session next year because I think people just thought they missed that. You know, they missed the liveness of it. But they've obviously, if you do it live, then obviously you're in one location. It's very hard to involve so many people. So I'm, I'm really not sure. We'll just see what the world looks like at Christmas time. I think that's something people have found with the pandemic and the the logistics of doing things and events online has been not slightly complicated just people having to get used to them it's a, a different way of working but then once you have people have obviously realized that you can get a lot more people involved you know globally it's not such a localized kind of affair anymore and you can get so many more people around the world uh, to take part and i've seen some other events and organizations recently now that we're able to go and meet in public places again who are actually doing hybrid version of events where you can go to the studio and you know take part or you can log in online and i think that has a great possibility and, and potential for future events. Um, how can people get involved if they if they want to, you know, with the Ethical Brands Fashion Revolution? How can people get involved with that? Well, there's a Facebook group, um, which is Ethical Brands for Fashion Revolution. There is a website, but it's still very much um, geared to the online conference. So um, it's kind of resting at the moment, I would say. We'll, we'll update it at some point when there's something to update it with. But the, the Facebook's probably the best thing. Or drop me a line. But at the moment, we're kind of, we've just we've just finished a week or so ago, the um, rerun of the events from last year's conference. So um, we covered off chemicals in our clothes again um, we had Roberta Lee talking about uh, wearing your values um, we talked with Rachel Khan and Shei Xing Yung about circular fashion um, so lots of different things which is basically they were we did a poll and it was the most popular sessions from last year so we got the speakers back in to talk a little bit about that um, again to see what the update was I mean one of the key things from last year's conference actually going back to your previous question was the the pay up campaign as you said so that was very much in response to 
the pandemic, even though when we started organising the conference, we obviously didn't know about that. But by the time it was time for the conference, it had become real. The realisation had happened that a lot of brands were not paying for um, many of the orders that they would put in place. And in fact, in a lot of cases had been made and delivered um, by the by the um, suppliers, um, but they weren't going to pay for them because they couldn't actually sell them and we had the likes of um, Lucy Siegel and Labour behind the label that is what they wanted to talk about so we had quite a few sessions about that at the conference and I think it was really great for raising awareness of what was going on and hopefully a lot of it got I wouldn't say fixed but a a lot of it got um, dealt with because there were some organisations and people doing some great work raising awareness with consumers about what was happening. Yes, and there was a lot of yeah, there was a lot of talk last year um, about the, the the orders that weren't paid for by a lot of businesses, um, and just sitting in warehouses with factories who needed to sell them, needed to get their money in order to pay for their workers. Which, for us, doesn't seem like you know you can go a week or two without payment in the West usually, um, but not in places like India and Bangladesh where they're they're living day to day really, and they need they need the, the the money that they've you know produced the products for in the first place. Um, I'm going to put the link to the Facebook group as well into the session dialogue so that anyone who wants to join the Facebook group for Ethical Brands for Fashion Revolution, they can do that as well. Thank you. Now, Joe, brand founder, educator, coach, campaigner, <laughs> and now big head. fellow podcast host. <laughs> yes, big head. Lots of hats. It needs, you know. <laughs> Um, I have been keeping up with the episodes and they're very interesting and I know a lot of people listening are, are going to want to check them out too as long as you don't take them away from my podcast as well now and uh, <laughs> so tell us what made you start up the where does it come from podcast and, and what are the topics that you're covering so that people have a bit of a heads up Okay, well, firstly, I don't want to take anyone away from your amazing podcast. Um, they don't, they're not the same at all. So where does it come from? It's kind of stepped back to its origins in the name. So we're not just dealing with fashion at all. We're talking about where things come from. And the theme behind it is we all have loads of stuff in our lives. We all live, we're used to stuff all around us. Um, what I'm trying to get people to do is think about the impacts of that stuff on people and planet and probably themselves as well. So what the, the, the my sort of theory is that we look at the whole supply chain all the way back to how things are made um, to changing the culture. So, so far we've done four episodes. Um, we had um, the first episode was actually with one of my longest term partners, producers in India, a lady called Shailini Sheth Amin, and she runs a social enterprise in India, working with artisans, trying to make life better for people in India. And at that time, we were hearing in the news all the time about the terrible situation with COVID in India. So it was kind of hearing it from someone who was living through it and talking about the impact on artisans. So that was obviously right at the beginning of the supply chain. And then we second episode was about greenwashing with Sean Conway Wood, who is the guru of marketing. She's currently writing a book on the subject and she's amazing so you need to get her on your podcast definitely Um, and then the third episode was um, with Peter Gorse um, who's a textile researcher at Cranfield University and someone that I he's my go-to person when I have questions about chemicals in textiles and um, production things and he's knows everything about chemicals he always says he knows nothing but he knows absolutely tons Um, and then we had the wonderful author campaigner Jen Gale last week she's um, launched uh, she's basically run something called sustainable-ish and she's written books and she's she's all about how to take easy steps 
to towards sustainability and not feel bad about yourself when you're doing it. And then we've got a few more podcast um, episodes planned. I won't blow it by telling you what they are at the moment, but we're talking about too much waste in the world is one of them. Um, we're talking to um, the lady who heads up the British Association of Fair Trade Shops and Suppliers, who's an old friend of mine, Laura Cave. And then I've got another one booked with an amazing brand, but I won't tell you who that is yet. So just blowing our trumpet. Where does it come from? Podcast on all major platforms. <laughs> <laughs> you got to do it. And it's very exciting. Um, I'm looking forward to the next episode and whatever that brand might be that you're not telling us much about. No spoilers. It's fine. I understand. It's not um, me. <laughs> I'm sure it's, it's not you. It's not your own brand then. No, no. no. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be sharing a lot of the listeners and I do highly recommend um, people listening to go and check out Joe's podcast. Um, all the episodes are fantastic. If you want to learn about greenwashing, the greenwashing episode was very in-depth. And I know we talk a lot about um, greenwashing and sustainable brands on this podcast, but that episode is very, very in detail, uh, as well as the chemical um, podcast also episode also very in detail. Uh, would be fantastic for anyone who has a brand or is just interested in greenwashing or the chemicals used in the industry um the link to the podcast i'll i'll put that in the description of the episode as well so anyone can go and check it out along with the website to obviously where does it come from brand if people want to check out the brand also and like joe has just mentioned she's happy to talk to anyone about everything we've talked about today in more detail um so i can also add a link to your linkedin profile i guess on the episode description too so if you want to go and learn more about ethics in the supply chain, just get in touch with Joe on LinkedIn. Well, Joe, it has actually been such a good chat with you again. I know we always have these great conversations. Um, I'm sure we'll probably catch up more again in the future about the progress of the brand and the podcast. I'm going to tap into a few of your guests as well, I think. Just uh, I'm sure they'd they'll love come it. to my show too. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, thank you, everyone, again for listening. This has been the Sustainable Fashion Wingman podcast. And I'm Sebastian, helping you dress, live and work more sustainably. Mm -hmm.